just like soaking in because I've been <laughs> saying all these things to people without the yeah. ability to express it how, like appropriately. And I was like, oh my God, you understand. Yeah. God, uh, Sensei is one of those shows that if you get it, I'm like, oh, I know that we can vibe. Like, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Can't Let It Go, a deep dive into the things that are stuck in our heads. My name is Matt, and I use he, him pronouns. I'm AC. I use they, them pronouns. And uh, today, we are going to talk about video essays. But first, I want to ask AC if they have anything that uh, they want to share, any any oh, small fun. little thing. Shit, we started this segment, and I... What do we call it? We call it nuggets? You don't have to have one. Okay, um... Yeah, probably better than I don't. Um, my little nugget of the week, if I had one, would probably be related to how absolutely ridiculous season 12 of Bones is. <laughs> um, I'm finally at the end of my Bones rewatch. I have finished the final 12 episodes of season 12. And wow. You know, for a show that jumped the shark somewhere around season six, season 12 does a lot. It does a lot. And what, Matt, okay. you don't need to know about it. Don't worry. No, I was going to I was gonna ask. I mean, at the risk of spoiling someone who still cares about this, what is the general shape of season 12 of Bones? Um, you know, they do a lot of, like, happy endings for the people who haven't yet gotten them. So, like... You know, Cam and Aristu are getting married and the interns all finish their PhDs and get fancy mm-hmm. jobs in other places. I mean, the interns that are still alive <laughs> um, because dying is like an occupational hazard in this line of work. Right. You know, I think I really don't want to talk about it because uh, <laughs> it, it would become a much longer thing that isn't worth uh-huh. real estate on this podcast. There's a thing that happens in season 11, I believe. It's like the end of season 10, uh, beginning of season 11. That is really the thing that takes the last two seasons into a whole other realm, which is that they decide that 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 is the time that it is appropriate for the show to decide that um, Hodgins should become paralyzed from the waist down um, and be in a wheelchair and be very determined to overcome his disability. Um, it's oh. a choice and it's not a great one. It's not a great one. No, uh, my eyes got real wide. The listeners can't see that my eyes got real wide. <laughs> right? It's you hope like the listeners got halfway through that <laughs> The listeners can see your eyes. We're doing something right. Anyway, that was that was a choice. Um, I somehow had avoided that information. But one of my favorite um, comfort watch shows. And in the future, I'll be sticking to just like pretending that those later seasons didn't exist, which is a thing that I do for a lot of my favorite media that takes a problematic turn. It's simply I I didn't you know, I'm really waiting for them to make an Avatar The Last Airbender live action film. And I've been waiting yeah. for decades now. And we'll never know what the magician season yeah, five looks like. God, it would have been so good <laughs> if it had only happened. And it's weird that they just like left off that entire last episode of season four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that was my little uh, <laughs> my little nugget of information for you today. Um, don't watch the final seasons of Bones unless gotcha. you're a diehard Bones fan like me. Diehard is strong. I'm not a diehard fan of anything. So things that I have spent a lot of time watching, maybe not this week, but especially today and then generally in the past few years, video essays. This is... <laughs> 
at the moment I said to you, I think I want to talk about video essays, I realized exactly how broad of a topic that was. Sure. What I am probably not going to do today is the thing that I normally do, which is like, what is the history of this? Mm. And why does it matter? And concept, and like, I just don't care in the oh. ter- in terms of video essays. Like, <laughs> wow, take when, that video essays. Yeah, there's there's some stuff that I want to talk about that is maybe a, a little more heady, but um, like the sort of how they came to be, I looked into it and I was like, you know what? This is actually not interesting to me. It's not the thing that I care about here. And instead, I really care about like the culture of video essays and of YouTube. And kind of, that's the kind of stuff I want to talk about. But do you watch video essays? Okay. What When someone says video essays, like... What is what does that mean to you? I have a question to turn to mm-hmm. to make a question a question. Um, how long of a video do you think the video has to be to count as a video essay? I just lived this moment where I made a four and a half minute video that I felt was an essay, uh-huh. and I included it in my videos video essays uh, playlist. Okay, yeah. I mean, I think the thing is that like an essay can be like an essay in a periodical is often. Mm-hmm. Two to three thousand words, and that's not that long of talking in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. like twenty minutes ish. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think I do watch video essays, though I tend to curate them very highly. I tend to watch video essays that I see my friends recommend, that my friends mm-hmm. create, or that are explainers on something I'm trying to understand. Mm. I often find that I'm looking for video essays that don't exist. Like what? Like just for random stuff. I want to like know, has anybody made a video talking about the connections between some random thing? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the way that search algorithms, maybe I should do a, an episode about how much I fucking <laughs> hate SEO. Um, but I never really seem to find what I'm looking for. And I think when we were first texting about this, that was the kind of one of the things that I said was like, I, I really like the idea of watching video essays. And I have a partner who is super into video essays, mm. but I just feel like I don't know where to start. And I feel like it, the internet and YouTube specifically is such a place that's like actually any video format. I think YouTube and TikTok, I feel this way the same about creators on there feeling like I can't really follow a creator without doing a lot of research to be sure that I'm not following someone who has like a secret political agenda that I'm very personally opposed to. Mm. I think you're unique in that respect. I think that is probably to do with like your work and your, your beliefs. Who, and all who of I that. am as a person is enough of yeah. a, yes, it's, it's a me <laughs> yeah. and a paranoia thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, my, my boss and I share a beloved podcast host, Twitter type famous person who I won't name here for their sake on this podcast. Mm-hmm. They'll never hear about. Um, <laughs> but we, like our one agreed thing between the two of us is that like, he's probably going to get canceled one day, but we really like mm-hmm. the content that he makes right now. He'll probably get canceled one day though. <laughs> and like, that mm-hmm. is the approach with which I experience a lot. I think the closest I come to watching video essays at any point in my life on a regular basis, it's not going to be surprising. It's John and Hank Green videos. Yeah. It's SciShow. It's any Hank or, and or John explainer, especially in like the, in that like, 2011 to 2016 era of John making four minute explainer videos. I was so mm-hmm. into those. I think those count as video essays. Yeah, I'm looking up this one. John and Hank Green have 
uh, several formats of video. They have the format, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I actually think is an essay format. It's it's John moving around different parts of his room, saying things that he's very clearly scripted from beginning to end that are deep thoughts. That's also just like a John Green <laughs> existence. He is. I feel like he's scripted everything that comes out of his mouth. Well, yes. He's a writer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Hank will do videos where he just—he's just a goofy guy. But a lot of times, he will also do, like you said, explainer content. Even in his four-minute videos. More recently, he did that one on Hank's channel called "So TikTok Sucks" about monetization yeah. of content and paying of creators and that kind of thing. That video, weirdly, I watched and I was like, Hank has never made anything like this. Mm. Like. I know this this style of video and Hank has never made anything in that style. Um, and that video actually directly influenced how I made my video about Spotify and uh, the sort of takeover of the podcasting world that, you know, that they did that I made last yeah. year. This gets into like a thought that I have which is that video essays are a lot of things um, and they're different things to different people. Yeah. I think podcasts have a similar problem. Like when you really get down to it, the what is a podcast for some people that is, it's very concrete. Mm -hmm. I'm one of these people. If it is not distributed over RSS in some way, if it's not open and available, that to me is not a podcast. You can't just like put a playlist on YouTube and call it a podcast. That's legit a thing they want you to do right Mm. now. Wait. For others. Like a playlist of videos or like a playlist of. Yes. Okay. 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 Yes, but the and for others, it's just an audio show, which is not how I feel about it, right? Yes. Because video podcasts have been a thing since the beginning. And then for other people, it's the kind of thing that we're doing, chatting back and forth between two or more people, but that doesn't allow for narrative stuff, yeah. right? Which is the stuff that I kind of like dove deep on when I got into podcasts. Yeah. So there's kind of like a demi crisis there, but it, a podcast is not for, a radio show. Yeah, basically <laughs> it's, it's basically the stuff that would be on the radio, just not on the radio. Right. Mm, interesting. I, I think we had, a, there's a, there's a whole other conversation that could happen here about what is a podcast. I have strong feelings about the ways that radio produced shows influenced how popular pod i mean this is the serial dilemma mm-hmm. right like it's not it, mm-hmm. it's not anything too deep but let's talk about video essays and not my well, I was, podcast. The, <laughs> yeah so bring it back to video essays my point is more that like i know a video essay when i see it right uh, yes, and i am trying definition. yes exactly and i am trying to broaden that a little bit because i think video essays are not harmed by broadening that definition mm. right no one is hurt by that. Um, yes, the corporate entity and, that is video essays, which is a person, <laughs> isn't well, hurt by that. It, like, yes. Yeah, I mean, video essays don't exist without YouTube. Mm-hmm. To get into sort of like cultural aspects of it, and specifically the reason video essays exist, at least in our modern context, right? Again, I don't want to get into the history before the internet. That's for somebody else's for film theory people to get into. But at least in the modern context, they exist because YouTube changed their algorithm in the 2010s from views to watch time yeah that is the entirety of the reason this like format exists in like our era videos went from being catchy and short and sweet you know basically youtube used to be tiktok just with a different interface right four Um, minutes was considered like the longest video you should make right it's also why while youtube i still think is one of the best places to learn to do something how-to videos have ballooned over eight yeah used to be 10 minutes because they've now shortened the length for advertising reasons. 
but you still are benefited by keeping people on the platform more and your channel sort of benefits from that or individual video benefits from that. There's not really much more to the story as to like why this format kind of appeared, right? When you think of, when I think of the people, when I say video essay, there's like a list of people in my head and I'm going to start naming these people and people are going to be like, oh, that's BreadTube. And boy, we'll talk about BreadTube. Okay. Um, I have (laughs) no idea what BreadTube is. Amazing. Wow. I'm so happy to get to introduce this concept to you. Have you watched a Lindsay Ellis video? No. That's shocking to me. I don't think so. She's like, uh, she's like good friends with John Green, or at least like, Mm. you know, sees, I would say sees him as like a coworker at least or contemporary, you know, Um, have you seen a ContraPoints video? I have seen a ContraPoints video. H-Bomber guy? uh, No. No, no, um, <laughs> now I feel Jacob like I'm Geller. being grilled and I'm in trouble for not. Having <laughs> no, I'm so, no, I'm so, you're not in trouble. I'm just kind of testing. There's a lot of interesting criticism of this group of people. I would say those are people that I watch. I will just mm-hmm. say that I'm not defining BreadTube as those four people, but it's BreadTube is a concept of like leftist YouTubers doing video essays on the Internet. Oh. A lot of these people, they were friends before they started making you know YouTube videos seemingly inspired by each other doing those various things like Lindsay ellis is often like cited as like the creator of a certain brand of uh, youtube video essay like if you watch her videos you know going back 10 years even you can see the beginnings of like the format that has has evolved today bread tube the word bread tube is a term or left tube sometimes is what it gets called is a term that has basically been created by fans this term has a lot of criticism because it gets used to group people together that didn't really ask to be called anything. They don't really want to be known this way. And um, it is an example of sort of a, a, a parasocial dynamic of people who like video essays kind of grouping these real life actual friends right together with, but there's expectations layered on top of that. Sure. And also there, there was a, there was a, comment that I saw literally on a YouTube video breaking down the concept of left tube that was like, this is basically just a list of anyone who was ever friends with uh, Lindsay Ellis. Interesting. And somebody in another video criticizing the concept of, of bread tube was basically like anyone who ever went to Lindsay Ellis's wedding. Right. Okay. Um, and they, they, there's this tweet from Mikey Neumann, who's one of my favorite video essayists. It's him, Jenny Nicholson, who a lot of people will know. Um, what's the guy from folding ideas? I don't remember his name. It's H bomber guy. It's Points like they're all there in the photo, and Lindsay Ellis is like there at her wedding, yeah. right? Um, and so it's all these people who are real life friends, but they are not the only people making video essays, they're not the only people making leftist video essays. And in fact, most of these people are white, sure, <laughs> and it excludes a lot of people who are not white, right? There's a bunch of people of color making really really awesome content at T1J who actually made a couple of the sort of criticisms of BreadTube videos um, that I was talking about. Very popular video essayist on YouTube and very popular leftist, right? right? Generally. And like he doesn't get included in these sort of like fan connections of like what is left tube what is bread tube it, at least in the in the times when this conversation was more popular maybe two three years ago was very vocal about being like it's be- it's because i'm black mm-hmm. right it's because you don't see me in conversation with these people mm-hmm. i think some of these people have started to because they, they collaborate with each other they show up as voices in each other's videos folding ideas just did a video that, about the metaverse it's called the metaverse is a dead mall and i'm listening and i'm like oh that's mikey newman's voice like oh that's h bar that's h barber guy yeah. right like I, I can hear i know who it and jenny nicholson shows up in people's videos all the time i don't I'm not really a jenny nicholson fan point is like everything on youtube 
there is a culture around video essays that I think is informed by and goes on to inform the format. Right. Right. And also the people who watch it, what people are looking for. It's a feedback that, um, I don't know, contributes to taste, which is a pretty prominent piece of culture. Interesting. Yeah, I think, um, Matt, if we're being honest about uh, where you lost me, (laughs) I think one of the things that happens is that, you know, this idea of like leftist YouTube or like video essays that touch on culture and politics, like despite the person that I am, which is the kind of person who would make a podcast to talk about these things, Mm -hmm. I don't spend a ton of time consuming content to think about those because I think about them at work all day. Like, because I ask these kinds of questions all the time. Like I think so much of like why I have this sort of like handpicked set of like, "Eh, maybe I've seen a video they've done or like, no, I don't really watch them is I have to take a break (laughs) is what I learned. Um, And when it's what I do at work all day and ask these kinds of questions all day for like, how do we talk about X or why do we talk about Y? Um, in this way or that way. And honestly, do a lot of work that some of these video essays do of like explaining these concepts to my coworkers of like, why it's valuable for us to talk about these concepts in a different way than we might talk about them on the internet and on social media in a different way than we might talk about them in a legal document. Yeah, that's fair. The video essays that I like the most are ones that are about some cultural thing. Yeah. And they are 99% about that cultural thing. And that 1% is the influence of the beliefs of the sure. of the person making it. And it's probably a, a heavier mix than that sure. in terms of beliefs and, and culture. I mean, I but. say that and I watch Dimension 20 and the bad guy is always capitalism in Dimension 20. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's the vibe for sure. That's that's the thing that I enjoy is like, I don't know, Mikey Newman makes a video or like, here, we'll talk about the one that I want to talk about. Um, the first, I would say the first video essay that I was like conscious of the form was uh, Mikey Newman's video on The Force Awakens. If you're looking for his videos, they're called Movies with Mikey. It's on the channel Film Joy. That video, it, he's he's a video essayist with a, like a film degree, right? Yeah. He's breaking down why that, or why he thinks that movie works, yeah. right? The things that are good about it. His channel exists to enjoy film in a way that like cinema sins will never be able to do. He's trying to talk about the good in things. He is a very talented writer. And sure, do I think of him in that sort of cluster of leftist YouTubers? Yeah. But is that video terribly political or, um, you know, the steeped in theory? Not at all. Right. right? It's like <laughs> he's talking about film and like a little bit about like nostalgia. Sure. And uh, how that movie pulls off what it pulls off. Yeah. I'm with you that like, I don't know. I don't know if you know who Hassan is, but. Oh, oh, I do know. I do know. I can't worry. watch. I can't watch him for a variety of reasons. But like one of the reasons is he's always on. I am sure he and I shared a ton of opinions, but I can't, I can't talk about it all the time. Yeah. I can't listen to it all the time. Also, I think he's kind of a dick, but like. (laughs) Here here is what I'll tell you is a friend of mine recently texted me to say that their partner had started listening to some leftist YouTuber guy. And it was really driving them crazy because like, you know, they they try to, you know, they they share space. They try to not make each other wear headphones all the time, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. My friend was texting me to complain and I was like, oh, is it Hassan? And they were like, yeah. It's Hassan. And I was like, yeah, okay. I I knew instantly, you know. Yeah. Very familiar. I mean, I'm a DSA member, for Christ's sake. Of course, I know who Hassan is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And, like, I don't want to, like, shade anyone that, like, watches him and enjoys it. I just, like, well, one, 
everyone you like is going to have a problem. Yeah. That's to begin with. All two, entry points to the thought process are valuable. Yes. And two, me not being able to consume all that information does not, it's not like a judgment call on anyone else right. who's able to. Right. Um, well, and it's like, there. I, I don't want to downplay the, like, the degree to which Hassan brings in people who might not otherwise have been exposed to those ideas and like pulls in broader conversations and asks tough questions for the movement in whatever way that he does. I, it's not the way that I like. Yeah, same. <laughs> but, but that's not inherently bad. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Because nothing is inherently good or inherently bad. Question that I want to ask us is why video essays work. Mm. Um, I have some theories. Mm. And I'm curious as may, I would call you an outsider maybe in this space. Ooh, um, a rebel. If you have any extras. Uh, or extra reasons you think they work or, or like what you think people get out of them. I mean, I, I have some ideas about why they work, but I, I'm more curious as an insider, Matt, like yeah. why do you feel like they work? And then like, what do I see as the appeal of like someone who's like, I want to get into it, but I don't know where to start. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> so my number one reason and the thing that I think is like what I'm looking for is the subjectivity. So when I was texting you about this and you said that stuff about like, I just want to be careful about like who I'm getting information from. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting because that's a, that's a valid point. But the angle that I'm coming at it from is like, I am tired of two things. I'm tired of it being either extremely reactionary subjective content or purposefully both sidesy, mm -hmm. sterile, mm -hmm. you know, that's like the two that exist in mainstream just analysis of things, I feel like. You know, if it's lefty, it's like a little bit. And there's not a lot of your... When there is personal aspects to, you know, analysis or even coverage, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into reporting, but, you know, sure. just like the content that I'm watching online, right? When there's personal aspects, it usually tends to be some reactionary asshole who is angry about immigrants or something like that, mm, you know? Yeah. And the thing that I tend to like about a video essay and then often like informs the question you had of do I follow this person or not mm -hmm. is the personal aspects of those essays yeah so to keep talking about some of the similar people Mikey Newman movies Mikey he um I'm not going to remember exactly the disability that he has but he has a, a particular um disease and occasionally his body just like shuts down on him, mm. right? And he just like, he can't, and he talks about that. Um, yeah. His analysis of film is often through the lens of his disability through his sickness. Yeah. And that's like inevitable. And I think to not say that, to not bring that to an analysis of a film is uninteresting at the very least. And maybe not true, in some cases, you may come up with a like analysis that it's actually not how you feel about something if you try to ignore those aspects of sure. yourself. So that subjectivity is probably the number one thing I'm looking for. I was at um, <laughs> I was at a podcast festival, Oka, that Perfect. one time. They did this sort of they called it a nightcap, and it was kind of as everyone was leaving the theater, they had like a kind of outside space in the lobby where they did like one last five minute show and the guy who was running it all these people are like NPR people right and so it's this kind of well-produced five minute talk that you know you could hear as, as produced as a podcast yeah. uh, and he started it off by being like I have this thesis that podcast fans are emotionally stunted wow um, and it all out there damn yeah it's an essay he's not trying to be sure. you know but he's his, trying to roast point, you gently yeah he's what he's saying is like you're listening to these podcasts and in my case watching these video essays 
to elicit an emotion that you are having trouble expressing, you're having trouble connecting to in some way. I think I think you know this about me, but the movie Seven Pounds by with Will Smith mm-hmm. in it is a bad movie. It's yeah. just subjectively not good. It's okay. I watch that movie to cry if uh-huh. I need to cry. That is a movie that I intentionally watch because sometimes I need to feel sad. <laughs> Right. I have no shortage of reasons to feel sad anymore. But when when I when I'm doing great and sometimes it's just like you need a cry like that is a movie that can do it for me. And I think that the one the essays that work for me the best are these like really deeply emotionally unapologetic ones. Yeah. It doesn't have to be sadness. Sure. Like one of my favorite essays is by uh, H. Bomber guy just like digging into people who talk about testosterone all the time and Mm -hmm. like where this kind of myth of, you know, among, you know, cis straight men came of being like low on testosterone and like what it actually does to your body versus Mm -hmm. what it doesn't. That video, and I think there's a follow up even, is goofy, yeah. right? Because the only way he can react to this is just being like, y'all are fucking idiots, <laughs> right? And he just like, he, he like, he, it just gets more bonkers and more bonkers. And that's like, that's his his style, but also I'm laughing hysterically sure. the whole time. I mean, yeah, it's also objectively like a funny idea that there are these dudes who are so obsessed with biology. Yeah, I also, I think of that video every time, there's like this like low T, like, I don't know, like, it almost looks like a fast casual restaurant in Tulsa here oh that is like presumably a doctor's office okay. specifically focused on low testosterone. I don't know how professional they are in there. Sure. I think of that video literally every yes. time I pass by that wow. place. You know, maybe they do really great gender affirming care. Who knows? Yeah, you sure. Know? <laughs> there's always that possibility. There's a non-zero chance <laughs> of everything. So I th- there's things like there's informative essays, right? right. Um, those are great. They're not necessarily the ones that always work for me. Sometimes they are. Is it Johnny Harris? I think it is. He did that... I am. I have sketchy feelings about him. I don't know that they're founded on anything. Okay. He's one of those people. I'm like, I don't necessarily want to follow you because sure. I don't know who you are. But he made a video on um, why McDonald's ice cream machines are always broken, and it kind of blew up the internet. Mm, um, and it okay. has like started to like affect Congress even. Yeah. But it's extremely informative. But like the ones that I send to my friends are often ones that are like, oh, I cried watching this. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So. I think that that's this this gets into like a little bit of like where the hard entry point is for me on on video essays is like I feel the way that I feel about the I need to research this person and understand the perspective that they're coming from when they're presenting this research that they have done themselves. And like it is worth noting that I got a master's degree and like I'm trained in like academic thinking in a way that makes me ask what are the biases that this person brings to the table Mm -hmm. pretty much every conversation that I have so like when I think about these informative essays I'm like great but am I getting an informative essay from someone who is being like who's who the point that they're what is the point that they're trying to make in conveying this informative essay right like Mm -hmm. In the case of why is the McDonald's machine always broken, if the point is that across America, workers and industries are being harmed by disposability, then that's a video essay that I'm interested in watching. But if the if the end of the essay is like, it's annoying, I'm like, I don't, that's not actually informative, right? And And it's really hard to tell without being sort of already immersed which version of that you're going to get because of the ways that like the algorithm and like interaction demands that covers of videos look 
similar in Mm -hmm. style, regardless of content, right? Like that there is a stylized way of presenting this information, but that that stylization doesn't necessarily tell you what kind of content there will be. So two thoughts here, and this is not meant to criticize that approach at all. I'm just curious. The first is a thought and I have a question. The first is, I think you learn the language of the form and like see how people are leaving those breadcrumbs like Mm -hmm. early in a video when I don't know when you're a person who consumes them a bunch, right? Sure. Like you, you know how a, you know the the form of a book of like a fiction, a yeah. piece of fiction, right? And you can kind of learn. You may not know the whole point the author is going to make, but you learn sort of about the author reading a chapter, yeah. right? And and I think you can get the same experience here. I guess the second is what is the potential harm to you, or I don't know, maybe there's external harm. If you were to, I don't know, accidentally get to the end of an essay and it's like, actually, I don't like that person. I don't think there's any harm. I think it's like more about in a world where there is a a seemingly infinite amount of content for me Mm. to consume. Where am I spending my time and like investing my time? Did I just watch something for 40 minutes to be like, (laughs) I actually hated that. Yeah. You know, like, and I I think like this has to do with some of how my personal opinions and the ways that I consume media have changed over time, right? I used to be a person who would stubbornly insist that I had to finish a book, even if I'd read <laughs> half of it and hated it. I read The mm-hmm. Goldfinch. It's the worst book I've ever read. Donna Tart, I'll never forgive you. This is one of my most unpopular opinions. People get upset when I say that I hated this book. So um, you should all know now that's what you're in for. Um, <laughs> I don't like that book. Um, I like a lot of other books, um, but I like I slogged my way through it because I was like, everybody loves this book. There must be some piece of good at the end of it that I'm just I just haven't gotten there yet. Right. Mm-hmm. And I got to the end and I didn't like the ending. I didn't like the book. I didn't like the setup. I didn't like the storytelling. I didn't like any aspect of it. And, you know that's okay. Yeah. It taught me that. And the other part of this is like, if you're not familiar with the goldfinch, it's an extremely long book and it took it. It stopped me from being able to read for a couple of months after I finished it because it was such a slog to get through it. And then it felt like it had no payoff and it turned me off from reading. But the, the thing was I could have chosen not to finish that book. I think a quarter of the way through, I knew that I wouldn't like the book and I could Mm -hmm. have not read it. And so I think like that's often where I wind up is I watch the first five minutes of an essay and I'm like, I'm not really sure that I I care about where this is going and I don't watch it. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to be. And so then I wind up not being a person who watches video essays because I haven't found someone who hits me where like, you know, having that moment of this video essay made me cry. Mm-hmm. I think it's also worth noting here probably that like, I also don't read personal essays. Like mm-hmm. I am not a memoir person. I read fiction over almost everything else. And to the impo- the point about like an informative essay, when I'm not reading fiction, I'm reading academic driven nonfiction, mm-hmm. right? So like that is the kind of content that I'm looking for rather than this like really rich world of what I know exists, right? Yeah. Of personal essays where like, admittedly my entry point for, you know, that, that I mentioned earlier, the Green Brothers, right? My entry point there was being a fan of John's writing mm. and then having that as my entry point of being like, oh, I like this writer. I didn't realize you were an OG. Like John yeah. fan. <laughs> That's how we became a nerd fighter. I know. I just didn't realize you went that far back. Yeah. My answer yeah. was Accio Deathly Hallows. 
Okay, so my I became a nerd fighter um, during like the, one of the original scavenger hunts. A friend mm. was like, "Hey, you like John Green books?" and was on a nerd fighter message board and was like, "There is this scavenger hunt happening." So this is like 2007 mm-hmm. um, or 2008. I can't remember which. Like, you should hop into this AOL chat room with me <laughs> and all of these other people, and they're all nerd fighters and they're cool and you'll like them. Um, you went to high school with one of them and like now famous and fast friends, right? Like, so yeah, no, that was, that was my entry point. I started watching John and Hank Green videos early on back when there wasn't like so much of a backlog that you could not never get right. through and catch up. That was the chat, right? Yeah. That's the chat. DFTBA, the chat. Yeah. Okay. Shout out. I don't think I knew the beginning of that story. I just knew the chat onwards. Yeah. Also, hello to chat members that are guaranteed to probably be here Hello. <laughs> we have to be the chatters we love you uh, i guarantee dustin will shout probably out. listen to this shout <laughs> out to my boy dustin i was about to say i was about to say every time to i see dustin on instagram i'm like oh man yeah. i love you shout out to brian brian me to the chat shout out to dustin hottie <laughs> uh the body we love you dustin lori and liz um, all of them everybody Noor. Oh, I forget. Noor was in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You forget some of our favorite. That's how I know many of our favorite yeah. people. I feel like I now that I haven't shouted out everyone, there's not that many additional <laughs> people. Although the chat was pretty mm. large at its largest. It was about 20 folks. Oh, Aaron's out there. Hey, DFTBA, the chat. If you're listening to this, I love you. Yeah, I, these are, I'm just pulling random people as you come to my mind. So. Uh, all right. All of that makes sense. I think. Um, and again, not to like judge you for your non-consuming of video essays. I'm just curious. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't perceive it as judgment at all, Matt. I don't think you would judge me unless I deserved it. I think, I think there's been times when I've judged you and you deserved it. (laughs) I often (laughs) To be fair, there's other, there's been times you've judged me when I deserved it. Well, you know, I've made some pretty (laughs) questionable choices in my life, so... So actually, one thing, this is kind of just like a spare thought that's tied to some of the other stuff. Some of those left tubers actually started directly intentionally as a response to right wing YouTube. Sure. So like when you think of, I don't know, I feel like men five to 10 years younger than me all have the story of like being radicalized in some way on YouTube. Mm. And some of these people started their channels as a direct response to that. Like realizing that talking about culture could be a path into talking about other things or could influence other things about people's lives. I just, I just think that's interesting uh, yeah. i don't know that i have more any thoughts about it other than like that is that it's interesting as a as a genesis of some of the more you know popular youtubers out there i came across i think it was a tweet or maybe it was a tumblr post that was like anything on youtube named the rise and fall of i am going to watch right <laughs> like and the point is that like you know it's gonna be a three-hour deep dive sure. into something you've never heard of but you all of a sudden give a shit about it yeah me day. watching the um the defunct land documentaries as a non-disney person defunct land is on my list as one of Amazing. the best video essays i'm Amazing. glad so if you're watching defunct land you're already here i mean mostly because people were, were talking about it and i do have a thing where when people talk about it, why did i read the 
Goldfinch. People were really talking about it. Yeah. Uh, people were really talking about Defunct Land uh, on my uh, on the Twitters yeah. and on TikTok. And I was like, okay, got to guess I got to know. And it turns out that Shapeland is Animal Kingdom and my mind is blown. I literally was watching Shapeland earlier today. <laughs> I So yeah, this gets into like... Or Magic Kingdom, sorry. Yeah, Clearly, exactly. I'm not a Disney head. Why was I watching Defunct Land? <laughs> exactly. So this actually, this goes right into what I was talking about. Just like, just, I want to talk about some of my favorite video essays. Yeah. And we can start with Defunct Land's Disney's Fast Pass, A Complicated History. How much do you know about lines? A line, or a queue, is an organized group of people, or in this case dots, waiting their turn for some thing. So if you don't know, obviously AC, you and I know Defunct Land makes videos about like the history of Disneyland and Disney World. That sounds like you have to be a like Disney adult or whatever to like care. I hate that term too, but to like care about this channel, you don't. If you've never been to Disney World, you don't want to go to Disney World. I like there may be something here for you. It's not a requirement. I think that you have to care a lot about that stuff. I've been to Disney World uh, one time. With mm-hmm. my friends, uh, you included, and mm-hmm. I said it was lovely, and uh, that was my one time that I was going to go. So, like, it was that's a, a it was a great time, and um, it also sometimes was very not your vibe. That's okay. <laughs> but I knew that going in. Yeah. I was I was excited for my friends to be there and for my friends to be having a great time. Yeah, Defunct Land makes videos, you know, about the history of these parks, and specifically made one about the Fast Pass system in these parks. You at least used to be able to uh, get certain passes to sort of, you would basically do your wait outside of the line. You would go get a pass and then it would have a time on it and you would show up and just walk right on the ride. And he talked about the iterations of that system, how any of them might be better or worse. And then I think you're like halfway through this hour and 42 minute video before they introduce that they have modeled a theme park in like, I don't know, statistics software or something like that to understand the value of these various fast pass systems to understand how they benefit the park owner versus the park goer um, and how they influence wait times, et cetera. And then you're like three quarters of the way, maybe almost done with a video before they reveal to you that this shape land, this imaginary theme park they've created is in fact the magic kingdom. Um, Wow. And I mind blown. Yeah, it's it's a great video and immediately turned me against the thing that has replaced fast passes, even though I've not experienced it yet. <laughs> I, yeah. I had I had drinks with uh, Mitch and Allison, who we went to Walt Disney World with the other day, and they were talking about how they they went again and how the new system like made their lives hell. Uh, cool. While they were there, bad. Yeah. You know what i i do I do enjoy that essay and like I think it's also worth noting that like I like documentaries right like it, mm-hmm. it, it, it is one of these things where it sometimes feels surprising that I've not gotten into video essays and you listener at home wouldn't know that because you don't know me from Adam I like documentaries I like I'm very into documentaries but I also have a thing about I want to know what the perspective of the documentary is I want to put know who put money behind it mm-hmm. because there are so many documentaries out there that people are like this this is the documentary that changed how I think about it and in reality that documentary is like pure propaganda from a company from a lobbying entity from even just like one personal 
one person's opinion. And so like, there is a little bit of value in like the YouTube video essay to me, because it like directly tells you who is the person. I mean, I guess defunct land, we don't know who runs that account or whatever, but like the point of view is it's not obscured by like the, the dressings of being a fully produced feature film that the information ha- doesn't have a, like a point of view. Mm, yeah you're not you're not wrong at all through all of the words in that order it's on someone's channel and because it's on someone's channel you know who that person is exactly and then you're like okay what's that person's perspective versus you know a doc a feature film documentary that is got all of the trappings of like you're seeing it in a movie theater it must Mm -hmm. be real it must be reputable information um and not to like bump a podcast on another podcast but if you've been listening to if books could kill um which is michael hobbs and peter um sorry (laughs) peter i can't remember your last name right now new podcast about like some of the worst books of like pop culture and the often lies that are printed in them Mm -hmm. um it's pretty eye-opening. I mean, this is a wild place to get, but like you're talking about if it's in a movie theater, it has to be real. The number one thing I think about is that fucking Benghazi movie, 13 Hours. Oh. Like, it's a Michael Bay movie, but it is also like propaganda. Yeah. And it's like, it's like just the most recent, or in my brain at least, the most recent iteration of that kind of thing. Yeah. There's plenty of examples where that's not true, but I totally understand the like pull that we have in like the ways that we understand culture to assume that if it has prestige, that it's true or real or right. valuable. Yeah. So we have Defunct Land. Absolutely yeah. worth a subscribe. I could be a caricature of myself and immediately dive into some of these other ones. But I'll, <laughs> another one I'll pull out is Alexander Avila, formerly known on Tumblr as Are They Gay? Oh um, my God. No. <laughs> and he basically would just answer the questions like, is blank gay in funny ways? Oh and my God. Did you follow Are They Gay? Yes. <laughs> Wow, are they gay? I love you. I'm yeah. so proud of you. Um, he makes hilarious videos. And sometimes really like, I would say he's an incredibly smart person and like makes really intelligent videos. But like the one that I'm pointing out right now is the gay ideology of Spotify, Perfect. which yeah. is, I guess the, the actual title is how Spotify manufactures gay culture. But the thumbnail title mm. is the gay ideology of Spotify. Hi, mm-hmm. glad you can join me. Is this song gay? Tastes a little heterosexual, huh? How about this? Oh, now that tasted like fresh fruit, right? Yeah, he does like an hour breaking down what is gay music and what is not. And I mean, basically comes to the take that this shouldn't, this is not really that surprising to me, but that the like major pride playlists that Spotify is pushing are basically the music taste of like a gay cis man, yeah. right? In, like a, like a stereotypical gay like cis man. Like in his 40s, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe even younger. Maybe it's like a newer <laughs> music, but like... Matt, yes. you're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not 40 yet, AC. Stop <laughs> roasting me like that. That was part of what I was thinking. Um, and then also they have these other playlists, which are like specifically like queer black artists, right? Mm. And like they basically othering this kind of music. Same thing that happens in playlist spots. Othering. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
and you know point out how some of these are algorithm created which still that doesn't mean much they're informed yes. by the way that content is tagged mm -hmm. and those people tagging things are humans mm -hmm. but also you have the curated ones which are clearly more I'll use the word segregated in this way mm -hmm. are very obviously worse than the, yeah. than the automated ones. I mean, he does this in a really goofy way. I promise you this video is hysterical. Okay. He interviews or he does a, he sends a survey to his like viewers basically to yeah. get them to like break down. Like who do you think that this playlist represents or is this playlist gay? And basically I think the sort of end conclusion is like, Sure, this playlist is gay, but this playlist is queer. Oh, mm. um, edgy. and very yeah. edgy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it's it's people being like, yeah, yeah like this yeah. music is fine, but like it's not what I listen to. Yeah, you know, somebody that I bring up an uncomfortable amount for a person who who writes and creates video essays is Jacob Geller. Yeah. Um, Jacob Geller, in the same way that that Hank Green video informed one video that I made, mm -hmm. Jacob Geller informs probably all of them. Oh. His videos are not always, but regularly, I would say 90% of them, about video games. But they are also about other things. So okay. one of my favorite video games is Kentucky Route Zero. He has a video that is about some games, including Kentucky Route Zero, but is the sort of framing of this video is this cave system underneath the state of Kentucky. And he goes spelunking and basically makes this short film called The Fear of Deaths. What does being in a cave feel like? Let's start with the basics. It's dark. It's really dark. Water and air may trickle past the first room of and a cavern. He's, he's evaluating various literature about people being afraid of caves and, and, and diving into the earth and those kinds of things. And then sort of, I think of this as a video about Kentucky Route Zero, but I went and looked at it today. It's like the last 20% of the video even talks about it. Interesting. Um, he, because that game is specifically about a community that lives in these caves underneath Bowling Green mm -hmm. or near there. He looks at the sort of fear of spelunking through the lens of this game about rural America and, um, you know, what, capitalism has wrought on rural towns in, in places like that right yeah. um, and sort of what the caves mean to that place it's a really good video but i think the thing he does is interesting is comes at these from a literary angle he did like a sequel to this called the fear of depths there's also like the fear of cold i think it is i don't know i don't remember which one came first but he has one called the the fear of depths which is kind of about giant squids oh <laughs> right he talks about the book kraken um one which i know faves. that you have read and that i did not yeah. enjoy <laughs> um you know what I took a chance. I hope yeah. that you would like it. I was wrong. You know, I That's a book that I dumped. I got a third way through and I was like, you know what? I don't have to read this. Fair. Yeah. Um, but talks about it through the lens of fear specifically. We talk about the Kraken. We talk about the giant squid as a way to talk about fear of the deep. Right. Yeah. And that's why we for so long thought it was fictional. Right. Yeah. But now have seen one. Yeah. And talks about a video game where I forget what it's Iron Lung, maybe where you um, literally descend into the depths and are picking up things on your radar. And it's basically just this kind of vibey horror game where you're aware that there are things outside of your submarine. Um, I don't like that. Yeah. I, I would care. Not, not a game that. that I have played not, or want to not play for me. That's yeah. for somebody. Yeah. That somebody is not me. Wow. Okay. His, I would say his ability to write, I don't know what he studied, but he very clearly is, is a trained writer in some way. And trained, I think, in analysis because he he has 
the ability to perceive things, I think, just in like what he consumes that I'm like, I don't even know how you, like I, my brain is always active when I'm watching or listening to or reading things. And I have never picked that up, right? Yeah. In the same, the same media. For sure. I'm not going to talk too much about this one because it straight up spoils the game, but he does a really good video on the video game Immortality, and it is called The Single Best Gaming Moment of 2022. Immortality is a game worth playing. If you have Netflix, you can play it on your phone. Whoa. It is also on Game Pass. If you have Xbox Game Pass, that's where I played it. It is a game about movies and told through film. Cool. Uh, It's real good. I think his thumbnail spoils a significant part of the game, but hey, I've done that. So, um... (laughs) <laughs> but it, he he pulled out a narrative around around bodies and around transness that I just like I would never have picked up because I don't have the the lived experience or the I guess like the just the knowledge of uh, the people that he's referencing in that story. Yeah. Right? There's a piece of music he's referencing that I just didn't know anything about. I didn't yeah. know much to think to like look into what it might be about. And he like it blew me away. Right. Just because like the level of detail that he was able to pull out of that because he had context for that music. That's really interesting. I was when you were talking earlier about like how folks who make video essays like are often informing, right, doing what personal essays do, using their Mm -hmm. personal lived experience to inform their analysis. I almost said something like, oh, yes, about how like how I make everything about how like gender is the most expansive thing and like how coming out as non-binary changed how I think about the world. Like deciding that like rejecting that kind of framing and thinking of the heuristics of gender if you want to get really like Mm -hmm. freaky about it um changed how i think about the world and informs so much of how i do analysis so i think that's interesting Mm -hmm. i will just kind of quickly blast through a few more um any movies with mikey is going to be a good good time I really like his takes on the movie uh, Arrival. And he does a lot of good Star Wars videos that are not... I feel like there's a whole genre of Star Wars sucks video essay on YouTube. And <laughs> uh, Mikey Newman for a while there spent a few years being the only voice on the internet trying to do something positive. Stew on that for a moment. Anakin becomes the preeminent evil badass of the galaxy because he commits the sin of falling in love That goes against everything that the original trilogy stood for. Only through their love and their sacrifices that came with it do our heroes succeed. And without speaking a single word of dialogue, I think J.J. was retconning that egregious, and if I may, disturbing assertion the prequels were making. Yeah. And even his video on the final movie, which I think is a disaster, is a very good video. Yeah. And, And positive and interesting and a good watch. Lady Knight the Brave. She has a video on, actually, I don't know Lady Knight the Brave's pronouns. Lady Knight the Brave has a video on Sense8, which is a show that I, I know, right? Um, I said these words to you, but Sense8 is emotionally masturbatory and it is, it is one of my favorite pieces of television. Another show that is sometimes just bad, but I love every moment of it. Lady Knight the Brave's essay talks about why that is and uh, what it did, you know, for their experience of being a human, right? Yeah. Um, It's because he's been shady lately. The final shot of the season is seven of our eight senseis in this van together in the same room for the first time. And then Netflix went and canceled the fucking show. Every minute of that video, I was like, just like soaking in because I've been saying all these things to people without the yeah. ability to express it ha- like appropriately. And I was like, Oh my God, you understand. 
Yeah. God, um, Sense8 is one of those shows that if you get it, I'm like, oh, I know that we can vibe. Like, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to watch um, that one for sure. Also, Matrix 4. If if you if you get Matrix Four, same same people making the same yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, th- I was like, I don't think that that's a different group of people. That that's, yeah, the Matrix Four is for is, <laughs> is just the 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 second in, ending movie. For... I lived. I I went to see that movie in theaters, and then you I did. came home and I watched it again. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that movie in a theater. I've watched it maybe eight times at home. Oh, it rules! Yeah, no, yeah. we went to see it at our little local theater around the corner here that we love. So, and then this one is not really—I'm not breaking out of the mainstream with this one, but folding ideas line goes up. I rewatched some of it today, and I love his thesis, basically that crypto is like this equal and opposite reaction to 2008 from like Occupy, and then like later, you know, growing leftist efforts in the U.S. He he starts the video basically being like, "Hey, 2008 happened." And the way some people reacted was to be like, fuck the 1%. Like, let's take care of each other. Capitalism's not working. Yeah. And the way a large portion of other people reacted was like, let it quadruple down on the things that have fucked us over. Yeah. Again, I think a person who has a bias, has a perspective, right? Sure. Um, but manages to talk about crypto and NFTs in a very informed way, in a way that is open to other thoughts, but definitely still coming from perspective. Someone I don't have on my list now that I'm saying this that I want to include, Philosophy Tube. Okay. She sometimes is a little both sidesy for me. Okay. But she also, I think, is coming from a good place when she does that. Um, and it's also not always that way. Mm-hmm. She has a couple videos on Jordan Peterson that I think are pretty good. Also, her coming out video is trans and like just it's a video about mm. transness and like being trans, right? And like, it's, it's, yes, there's aspects of herself yeah. in there, but that's not really what, it's not really what she does. You know, she includes that stuff when it's right, when it's necessary. Sure. This is a great and helpful entry point. If you, like me, are not very into video essays um, and also like helps you get a pretty good sense of like, who is Matt as a person? What is Matt interested in? Um, which is like one thing that I do think is fun, right? Like the... The difference for me is like, while I don't always seek out a video essay, often if a friend recommends one or, you know, now since a lot of folks are making cross-platform mm-hmm. teasers in a, in a format where I see them on TikTok, right, where on Instagram and Twitter, I'm not as prone to watch a video. On TikTok, I'm always watching videos. I have watched, I think, more in the last year or so from seeing a clip of somebody talking about something on TikTok. You know, I just watched one the other day from Eddie Burback about um, ghost kitchens. And that's something that's very interesting to me, right? And like um, DoorDash and other, um, I'll recommend, (laughs) I can recommend that one. Let me look up what it's called. I think I've seen this recommended to me. I I haven't watched it. The Deceptive World of Ghost Kitchens is Eddie Burback's most recent video. You know, it's just about how apps, people have gamed apps like DoorDash and Postmates to create fake storefronts where Mm -hmm. they're selling the same items in 40 different storefronts that have the same address and it's not actually 40 mm-hmm. different restaurants it's one restaurant and you know he does the thing in this video essay that i always mm-hmm. love which is the the gimmick right the bit of ordering from all of those mm-hmm. places and then going to pick it up 
and getting the same sandwich from <laughs> the same sandwich 40 times, right? And tasting all of them mm-hmm. and is like, oh, do these all taste, are these all the same sandwich? And, you know, it's also very funny because it's like dressed up in the, like the legally, <laughs> I cannot say that these are all the same sandwich, mm-hmm. lest he gets sued for claiming that these are all the same sandwich, right? But he said, but they do taste <laughs> a lot like the same sandwich, right? You know, the the subjective qualification, which I, I think is a very funny um, genre of content. And of course, touches on the video essay whose name we have yet to mention, although I see it in the notes, right? Mm. Uh, touches on Mr. Beast, um, because Mr. Beast is one of these people who has a like a ghost kitchen, um, mm-hmm. DoorDash, you know, Guy Fieri, a few other people have these celebrity oh ghost kitchens um, on apps. So I was going to say I could do a whole episode on Mr. Beast, but I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it, it did come up as we were, as I was thinking about this episode and, and you know, doing mm-hmm. my not prep prep, which is thinking about what I already know about a topic that you're going to talk to me about. And I was like, oh, I wonder if Matt could explain that to me. And then I thought, do I want that explained to me? There's So there's been a couple essays that I've seen recently, specific, just to dig a little a little bit, and then we'll get away from Mr. Beast. Okay, okay. He did it. He did, did a video recently where he um, paid to reverse a, a bunch of people's blindness. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. I saw. And there's been a lot of really good videos. I would say that I've yet to see one made by anyone with a disability or at least Mm -hmm. a visible disability. So would love to see that about what that means and about like the way that he framed what he was doing there. I personally think a lot about what Mr. Beast's existence means for our culture when (laughs) in regards to charity, in regards to philanthropy, in regards to why is Mr. Beast necessary? Have we seeded some aspect of our social safety net? to Mr. Beast. And what does that say about huh. us as a culture? And yeah, I don't know. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Maybe I'll write that video essay at some point. Oh boy. Tale as old as time, you can call it. Because then it's a Beauty and the Beast reference. It's mm. That's pretty good. Yeah, got it. Please consult me in all future uh, edits. I'll just text you every time I'm about to release something. Be like, what should this be named? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking of that, I'll try and keep this section as short as possible. But I also feel like I want to talk about like why I make what I make. But yeah. You mentioned earlier, have you have you watched the videos that I make? I know you watched the one that you were in, but have you watched any one that you could <laughs> yes, man, have I considered essays? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't assume that people watch my videos. Okay. Do but share I watch, them. But I do watch your videos. Okay, thank you. I have recently, I will say, I've been making videos for a while, but I've recently decided that the stuff that is like most creatively true to myself, the stuff that I'm most proud of, the stuff that I think resonates most deeply with people, whether it gets views or not, is my essay content right yeah. is this is why spotify podcasts suck is yeah. kentucky route zero is a game you can't win those are the things that i am most proud of and also that people seem to enjoy the most stuff that got views but i maybe don't give a shit about i mean it gave a shit i wouldn't have made it if i didn't but sure. i like want to make less of is like is microsoft gonna buy discord right the answer is now no that was an interesting question the day it came up that's why it got a bunch of views yeah. I just didn't, I go back and I watch a video. I'm like, what was I trying to say? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the interesting things about making content, right. And like, I won't spoil ahead because I do have your notes pulled <laughs> up here. But like, I think that one of the hardest things about making content on a platform that relies on an algorithm that is deeply, deeply affected or affected by you know, this desire for reactionary content, whether it is 
right-wing reactionary mm-hmm. content or left-wing reactionary content or centrist fucking <laughs> reactionary content, right? Which there is plenty of. The One of the hardest things about running any channel, and I say this as like a social media professional, blah, barf. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true though. Is you like, gotta own it. You have to make things that pull people in mm-hmm. Even when those are not the things that like get people to stay, mm-hmm. right? So like I think about that Discord video as like that's a video that brings people in. And then you hope that your video, like your citizen sleeper video or the other videos, are the videos that make people stay. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about this one time and he said it's basically a, a make one for me, make one for them. Like you can kind of do both. Yeah. At the same time, it like kills my creativity to make a video that is like purely like, oh, this is hot news and I have to have words about it, right? I end up yeah. I end up like not making stuff for a long time because my livelihood is not based on this yet, right? Like, I don't know, I have ADHD. I build up these like emotional mental walls to getting shit done. And I just, yeah. like if one of those bricks is shit, I made something I wasn't happy with, <laughs> right? That's a pretty significant yeah. brick in that wall. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think it 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 is truly challenging and, and difficult. I think there's a ton of other hurdles to like making the kind of content that you want to make. Mm-hmm. But there are also lots of video essays yeah. out there about people talking about like yeah. this exact topic or or TikTokers pleading with people like I'm going to change the kind of content that I'm making because I want to make a different kind of Mm -hmm. content. If you want to stay, I hope you'll stay. But if you leave, you know, it's not that I don't, that I'm still a human Mm -hmm. of it all, right? Like I want to make what I want to make, not update you on the stray cat that I found on the side of the road every day. If that's not why I started making videos in the first place, right? Well, even the fact that I'm starting making videos about video games was an anomaly because I got a video that got 75,000 views in one day and that I had posted four videos before that. Right. Like, yeah. And that video happened to be about video games. And then I was like, Oh, I guess I could do this. And then it took me a year and a half of like figuring out what I wanted to do (laughs) to actually like to make something that both hit and worked for me. Right. Which was the Kentucky route zero video. I mean, I think the other thing, like the other, what, what's the secret to how other big YouTube channels do it <laughs> all is like, either it's their livelihood and they spend all day doing these kinds of things, or they stay up all night to make these things, right, on a timeline that makes sense while they work their regular job, or the reality is that it's not just that, yeah. right? Like the 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 reality is that many of these channels that have these high performing views and these big strategies have production budgets and teams of people who are behind this content in a way that like small content creators kill themselves to try to keep up mm-hmm. with, you know? And so I think like, I will spoil your notes a little bit here because we haven't gotten around to it. You know, something that I really value about your essays and why I like watching stuff that my friends have created is because like I have um, described myself in the past as terminally earnest. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I like watching content that my friends make because I know that it's content that they really care about. You know, even when I was in the era of like trying to figure out what would it look like if I made YouTube videos myself, I was never successful at that. 
But the thing that I liked the most was watching my friends' videos, uh-huh. even if they were like objectively not good, <laughs> right? Like we were making video. It was 2009. We were making videos on our laptops. I remember watching those videos. It was a good time. They were not. They weren't good videos. Didn't make they good were, videos like, back then. Funny and sweet, and it was fun to watch your friends having a fun time doing something silly. Mm-hmm. So and and now it's not always having watching your friends do something silly, right? Many of your videos are act the opposite of silly are very serious and thought-provoking but it has that earnestness right that that quality of being terminally earnest um that i think you and i share um that is a great way to put it and i'm gonna start saying that to people like yeah i just need to like i i I try and tell people that all the time and i'm like you don't understand like it's kind of impossible for me to i can joke around but it's impossible for me to be ironic all the time anymore that was like a period of time and like I'm tired of it. I'm exhausted. I'm literally, I'm making, I'm, I was editing a video before we got on here um, about a game that I just finished playing. And my takeaway is that I like this game because it's earnest and not, yeah, uh, you know, and not like trying to be cool. Yeah. The, the most frequent thing that I say about a piece of media that I really like is I like it because it knows what it's trying to be. Like mm-hmm. it knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, Oh, I like this video because it, or this movie because like it's it's unserious. Like John Wick mm-hmm. is not a serious. He knows it's funny. They aren't doing that to be serious, yeah. right? They don't say John Wick every time a villain says his yeah. name because they think that it's like high art. But it is high art because it knows exactly, what it is. exactly. I I put this in the notes, which you probably read, which is that. I think that earnestness kind of fundamentally can't be faked. Um, yeah. There's a really great Lindsay Ellis video um, called YouTube Manufacturing Authenticity for Fun and Profit. Oof. But yeah, her video Manufacturing Authenticity just like looks at YouTube content, right? And and it's basically yeah. like, how did it become this thing where we are faking the like interaction with the cameraman? Yeah. That stuff is clearly scripted because we know that authenticity makes people keep watching. Um, And I both shudder at that. think it's really easy to see through and like don't want to make that shit. I want to make stuff that is Mm. like if Mm -hmm. like I find myself editing my scripts to say what I really mean sometimes. Like sometimes I have like a thought that is like not actually what I think, but is like sounds smart. And I have to go back to have to go back through and edit that and be like, nah, man. Like, that, no, this is what, <laughs> this is, I, I, this isn't sleeper video, which I think is of the things I've made, maybe the one that I'm most proud of it, that whole video starts with me talking about whether or not we're going to stay in Tulsa, right? That being sort of an yeah. open question. Um, then I tell a whole story about a video game character who is deciding whether or not to leave the place they're in. And the takeaway of that video game character is that they're going to stay in this place. That's not perfect. And the line in that script, I was recording the audio when I decided to rewrite the end of that video. I say something to the effect of like, if you're still following, you might think that I'm about to tell you that we're going to stay, that we've, you know, we've made a community here. And I say, and that's a lie I told myself for a little bit because that was not my truth. It may have been the truth of the character that I was portraying. It may have been really poetic if that's how it ended up. It lined up that way. It just didn't. It just like, I had this really weak ending to this video and I was like, you know what? This is not going to be the video it needs to be if I'm not honest you know, about what I'm really feeling. And I think, I don't know, in that case, there was like family drama and all that stuff that involved, involved. But at the same time, like I wanted the video to be real and and something I was proud of making. Yeah. I mean, I think 
the idea of like manufacturing authenticity is so interesting and big and is like are we just swapping authenticity for earnestness oh you can't fake earnestness and you Mm -hmm. when five years ago we were saying you can't fake authenticity right which was like a whole at the crux of like an entire debate around presidential candidates Mm -hmm. right who you fundamentally were aligned with in the presidential candidate often came down to a conversation of like who you thought was authentically themselves on the campaign trail do you want to have a beer with that guy is rooted in Mm -hmm. Do you see him as an authentic person um, or do you see the candidate as an authentic person um, or do you see them as like putting on a show? Right. And I think like something that is so interesting to me (laughs) as like both an autistic person and like as a person who um, was late diagnosed and did not know that like that was a thing that other people did not do right like i think about every interaction that i had where i was doing performative vulnerability Mm -hmm. not because i wasn't being honest or i wasn't being authentic about what i experienced but i wasn't being true to myself or like having any real um it wasn't real vulnerability, right? Like it was like a practiced version of a story that I had written down mm-hmm. and like refined how to communicate to people as an organizer. Cause like, that was my job, mm-hmm. right? My job was to tell you an emotional story where I, I literally would go to trainings and train people on, you should write your personal story that you're going to tell to voters on the doors with a beginning, middle and end. And the end should be followed by a call to action. That's why I suffered this great loss. Here is what I did in the meantime. Here is how that resulted. That's why I'm here talking to you today, Mm -hmm. right? And like, that's the structure that we would teach people. And it's, you see it a lot in these videos, Mm -hmm. right? The fall. Yeah, the rise and fall of the McElroy brothers yes, or McElroy exactly, brothers, you know, like exactly. the rise and fall. I'm just now just quoting Sarah Zed videos. Uh, actually, I think there's one about Riverdale, which I also recommend from <sighs> Super Eye Patch Wolf. God, what a show! Uh, yeah, the show that went completely insane. That's what it's called. A show that I made entire, like one of the last shows to that for me to like make it my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, after watching one season of it and then after two seasons of it being like never associate me with this Mm -hmm. show again (laughs) i mean i still enjoy it it's just bonkers and i'm like oh this was not like super good (laughs) yeah yeah it's it went from being a show that i thought would be better than teen wolf to being about as good as not worse than yeah (laughs) depending (laughs) on the episode (laughs) i'm very stressed about the idea that teen wolf a show that had a plot where there were berserkers um, is somehow better mm-hmm. than um, Riverdale. So I think that's what I have to say about video essays. But the one thing I wanted to bring up was I thought that your last point about ele- like elections and candidates and 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 speaking to people matches up with what you've said about you paying attention to the bias uh, that mm-hmm. the various biases that people have right um, in the things that you're watching. I don't know, just like the way that we know that at least very prominent like political candidates are every political candidate is telling a story, but very prominent high office political candidates are telling a narrative that is oftentimes extremely manufactured. Yeah. Right. I think that is a a skepticism that maybe we have 
is like out there in the open. Like we know to be skeptical yeah. of that. We're going to get pulled in by some of them. But I think maybe that skepticism is like less trained when it comes to media literacy mm. online. Yeah. Yeah. The media literacy part is the hard part too, mm-hmm. right? Like the pace of the internet, the lack of like media literacy training. It, like, like it's not a class that you take. Nobody mm-hmm. teaches you that. Like you have to learn it yourself. And the ways that it is taught are outdated and outpaced by how fast the internet has moved in five years, you know, or 10 years or whatever. However long you want to frame it in the past, the internet has moved at lightning speed, mm-hmm. <laughs> at fiber optic cable speed, whatever. <laughs> but I, I think that's so interesting because one of my things that I think about too is like my skepticism of sources and information is one of the things that is both a shield for my earnestness Mm -hmm. because I am earnest. I am likely to believe you. Right. And I have learned the hard way many different times. Right. And I think not just by like, Oh, I was tricked by somebody. Right. Like I, I don't think of it in that way. I think of it as like, you know, not to bring up the author, right? <laughs> she who must not be named again, but like, you know, being fundamentally feeling like I was fundamentally tricked by an author who I, I considered to be a very beloved and important person whose stories shaped how I thought about and engaged with the world and met some really key people in my life, you know, to have that bait and switch. And is it a bait and switch? No. Like as an adult is reading the text very different. Yes. Right. We've all, we've had all of these conversations, but like that is a good example to me of like, I should, I feel like I should have been more skeptical. Mm-hmm. I should have been able to see the writing on the wall. Right. And so now that I'm often looking for that, isn't, I don't mean harm by it. I don't mean to, be skeptical of everyone around me but i have found that when i let my guard that guard of skepticism down like that's when the media literacy yeah tricks me right like i mean i thought for like a full probably 30 seconds i had to debate with myself did you see the 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 image and i uh, the image of the pope in the puffer Mm -hmm. jacket right like trying to be like okay what do i know about the papacy and what do i know about ai doctored images is this an AI doctored image? The papacy, they do make him wear ridiculous stuff, mm-hmm. right? He does have a lot of like weird custom clothes. This could be a weird custom clothes thing, right? Yeah. Is he going on some trip? Blah, blah. I'm like trying to like do the math. And then I just, it's like, I'm just looking it up. Is this real? Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I was able to find that answer in this case, but like, yep. it's something that is like tough about consuming content on the internet. I I hear you. I think the thing that I think about a lot is, um, I don't know, we talked about serial earlier, right? Like 2014 serial happens. um, What had already been happening in podcasting, which was there was this whole corner of it that was based on public radio, narrative, uh, uh, you know, narrative reporting, those kinds of things exploded. And the criticism in the last maybe five years or so of that is that this is supposed to be reporting. And as reporters, there's like a distance you're supposed to have. That's there's some philosophical stuff you get into there, but I won't bother. Yeah. But like the criticism of these shows is that they often maybe went too far into making the reporter the yeah. a part of the narrative, right? Yeah. Um, not even to mention like the fake journalists who do true, true crime shows, but like specifically, you know, the ones that you know actually uh, are are you know purporting to be and and have titles and experience and training to be. Uh, reporters involving themselves in stories in ways that 
where do you cross the line into that from, mm-hmm. hey, there's aspects of myself that I can't ignore and I need to include that in my reporting. That is maybe mm-hmm. something I agree with, but you take that another five steps down the road and you end up, I'm a character in the story. Yeah, I don't know. That's all to say that I can see parallels to the, those concerns. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that there's much more to it than yeah. that. Um, and I don't know that there's, honestly, I don't know that there is much more to it than like, there is just so much content out there that what I and what I tend to watch and consume at the end of the day mm-hmm. tends to be nonfiction or tends to be fictional rather than nonfiction, yeah. tends to be fictional rather than memoir or personal essay. And that is true, like across genre. I love podcasts conceptually and I follow tons of yeah. them. I am a regular listener of none mm. of them because I I just they I lose attention Mm -hmm. and that's, and that's true. Even if it's fictional, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the closest I was ever to a regular listener of a podcast would have been welcome to night Vale. Mm. And even then I think I only lasted like a hundred episodes, which feels like a lot for Mm -hmm. me. Right. But um, no, I didn't stay up on it for years and years. I can't even listen to all of like, the episodes of stuff that I subscribe to on Patreon or watch all of the extra videos mm-hmm. from people that I, that I subscribe to on Patreon. And it's not because I don't want to watch their content or I don't like their content. It's just, there's so, there's so much, of it. much out mm-hmm. there and that's awesome. And I, I love that actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope the digital, you know, the digital dark age doesn't hasten its arrival so that I have time to get through all of the things that I want to get through before they cease to exist. With that, I will say that I'm going to link all of the videos. <laughs> wow, wow, brutal, a brutal ending. Uh, I'm going li- to link all the videos that we talked about and probably a bunch more. I have a giant list I sent AC of maybe 30 something videos. Should you just make it a YouTube playlist? I probably Matt, will do that. Link to the YouTube and I'll link playlist. to the YouTube playlist. And then people can follow you on YouTube. Exactly. That's a where you make where videos. I make videos. And I'll include my videos in the playlist. They're good videos, listeners. We promise. Sure. I like some of them. I I like all of them <laughs> for what it's worth. And um, despite what I just said, um, I do watch all of Matt's videos. Appreciate it. Um. <laughs> uh, and I'll, there's there's some other stuff. I'll, I'll tr- when I edit this, I'll try and go through and capture all the links, even the stuff that ACU mentioned. I guess I should probably say that you can find me on the internet at matthorton.live, including a link to two of my favorite videos right at the top of that page. Wow. Um, I still don't have a website, <laughs> uh, but I've thought about it a lot. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ACFACHI. And with that, we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye.